Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that this Christmas time, uh, we can say thank you to you once again uh, because of the birth of your Son, the Lord Jesus, uh, who is your gift to us, uh, who is your gift of salvation, your gift of grace, uh, your gift of hope and restoration. Uh, we thank you so much that only because of Christ, uh, we can uh, truly uh, become part of your family, uh, that we, are, uh, we can call you Abba Father. And Father, as we listen to your voice now, uh, please, Lord, open our ears, open our hearts, open our minds, help us to receive your word, uh, to allow it to impact us, to change us, uh, to set us in the direction that you want us to take uh, as we look forward to the year ahead. Uh, we do pray all this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Now, some of you will know that I'm the proud owner of a new smartphone. Yeah. There you go. It's my very first smartphone. Yes, I know I'm late to the party, so I've been downloading apps like nobody's business. And a lot of these apps require you to sign up, to have an account with them. Now, not a problem. You know, just a few taps on the phone, right? And you're a member of the TripIt community or of the Evernote community or the Pocket community and so on. Being a member is easy. You know, I had a quick look through my wallet as well this week and I discovered that my membership of the Oxford University Library had only just expired. Uh, I had forgotten that I was even a member. Uh, in fact, I'm still a member of the public library in Oxford and of a DVD rental store in London. So if anytime you're in London, you just need to use my membership. Uh, very happy to lend it to you. It's so easy to be a member and so easy to forget that you're one to. That's how we think of membership. Something we sign up to, but take it or leave it as we wish. And that's probably true if we're thinking about apps and club memberships and that kind of thing. But actually, there's another way of thinking about membership. It's a membership that is more basic to us as human beings than we realize. All of us are members of a particular family. All of us are members of a particular ethnicity. Or if you want to push it further, all of us have physical bodies with members. Our eyes, our arms, our legs, our feet. This is a membership that is very closely tied to who you are. It's a membership that you participate in. It's a membership that isn't simply a take it or leave it as you wish. And when the New Testament talks about membership, it uses this kind of image of a family, a household, a race, a body. This family, this household, this race, this body is made up of many members and yet are one. One in Christ. This is clearly not like being a member of, a, of the library. In fact, they are so closely tied together that in Romans chapter 12, verse 5, Paul can say this. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Each member belongs to one another. What sort of family, what sort of body could the Bible be talking about here? The answer, of course, is the local church. It's us gathered here today. And as we come to the end of 2012, and as we look ahead to 2013, 
It's a good moment to reflect on whether we at SMAC are living up to the New Testament picture of church. It's a good time to take stock of where we are. A good time to reset our priorities and refocus on our mission. If SMAC is to thrive in 2013 and beyond, how is it going to happen? What does it mean for me to be part of SMAC too? How can I be a healthy member of this community? These are the sorts of questions we're asking today. And let's listen to what God has to say to us in the book of Philippians. Uh, We'll be mainly staying in chapter 1, but we'll also be looking at other parts of Philippians throughout. So if you close your Bibles, then can I ask you to open them again to page 1179. Page 1179, and we're in the book of Philippians. And in many ways, the church in Philippi is a model church. They are certainly not like the Corinthians. Uh, You'll find out when you go through 1 Corinthians next year. That's not to say they are perfect. If you read through Philippians, you notice that Paul has issues to deal with. Uh, But I hope that as Spoiling read it, uh, you've picked up on how warm Paul is towards this church. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, he says in verse 3. I always pray with joy, he says in verse 4. I hold you in my heart, he says in verse 7. I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Verse 8. There is plenty of joy and thanksgiving. And the note of joy echoes throughout the letter. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 28 to 29, for example. Now there, Paul desires to send his fellow worker Epaphroditus back to the Philippians for their joy. Verse 28. He says, I am the more eager to send him, therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Or look at 4 verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, who I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. He loves them. He longs for them. He finds joy in them. Some people have even gone so far as to say that's why in chapter 1 verse 1, Paul doesn't identify himself as an apostle. Now that's unusual for him. He relates to them not chiefly as an apostle, but as a friend and fellow slave of Christ Jesus. Well, why is Paul so joyful, so thankful? And he gives us two reasons. The first reason is their partnership in the gospel. Come back with me to chapter 1, verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now the word partnership there is the word commonly translated fellowship. Unfortunately, the word fellowship nowadays has been robbed of its true meaning. Usually people think of fellowship this way. If you have a te tarek with your non-Christian friend, that's called hanging out. If you have a te tarek with your Christian friend, that suddenly becomes fellowship. In this version, fellowship is reduced to a kind of Christian socializing. 
But that's not what Paul means by fellowship or partnership. Think of it this way instead. Now, imagine Elvin, Elvin over there, Elvin from Kuching. And, and Elvin and I have always dreamt of starting a Kuching Kolomi store here in KL. We, we, we felt really sad because, you know, we thought that the West Malaysians have not experienced the joy of eating truly good Kolomi, only the imitation ones in Kalana Jaya. Now, we have a shared vision of all of you West Malaysians tasting our kolomi and saying, Oh, why have I been so blind and stupid eating only wonton mee or this while? From now on, I will only eat kuching kolomi. Now, Elvin and I are in partnership together to see this vision realized. Uh, we will work together to try to perfect our recipe, to source the best ingredients, uh, to write up a solid business plan, uh, to publicize it far and wide. We both have a stake in this partnership. We are actively participating together to realize our shared dream of owning the best Kuching Kolomi store in Malaysia. That's the kind of partnership Paul is talking about here. Participating together to realize a common vision. That's what gives Paul joy, knowing that he and the Philippians are participating together to advance the gospel. But there's a second reason why Paul is so joyful. It's his confidence in God's gracious work. Verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is a confident man. But his confidence has nothing to do with himself or the Philippians and everything to do with God. Now, in Malaysia, we're very good at building new things, but not so good at maintaining them. So we can build a very nice building, but within a few years, it might show a few cracks. God is not like that. He builds and he maintains. Having expressed his joy over the way that the Philippines have been going, Paul now assures them of their certain future. He assures them that God is going to complete his work of making them more and more like Jesus. And if you are truly a Christian here today, if God has truly begun a good work in you, well, take heart. He'll finish what he started. He'll see you to the end. The Mayans or anyone else can prophesy about the end of the world and it wouldn't matter. On the day of Christ, God has prepared you. You have nothing to be terrified of. He'll finish what he started. So joy. Joy in gospel partnership and joy in God's gracious work. And in a moment, we're going to unpack what partnership in the gospel looks like in practice. But let's pause here first and think. Do we at SMAC2 think of ourselves as being in partnership with each other? Is there a common vision that we participate in together? Many of us are different from each other. We come from different backgrounds. We have different family upbringings, different educations, different personalities. We have different interests. Some of us are at different stages of life. And we can be so aware of those differences. You know, we can feel the barriers that exist between me and this person or that person. 
it's difficult. But God says, change your perspective. Yes, we are different, but we have a vision in common. In Acts chapter 16, we are told about Paul's time in Philippi. We meet Lydia, a wealthy businesswoman. We meet a demon-possessed slave girl. We meet a Roman jailer. Three very different people. But they have one thing in common. Christ has set them free. And so they enter gospel partnership with other Christians. In fact, when Lydia becomes a Christian, she invites Paul straight away into her household. That's not her just being hospitable, but her saying, I'm a Gentile. You're a Jew. We are different. But I want you to know that our partnership in Christ is stronger than all those differences. Do you feel the same way? Paul did, because Paul went. So we have a decision to make. We are all different. I agree. Yet we have a common vision, and that is to glorify the Lord Jesus in all that we do. We have a common bond, and that is to become more and more like Jesus. As you walk into church Sunday after Sunday next year, look around and say to yourself, I am thankful because I am in partnership in the gospel with all these people. These are your brothers and sisters. Jesus has given this church to you. God has begun a good work in each and every one of them. Now, you might know them well or not at all. You might like them very much or find it hard to connect with them. Well, that's okay. That's why the Bible says things like, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. That's why the Bible says things like, be patient, bearing with one another in love. That's what we must remember every time we feel the barrier between me and another Christian. One of my biggest joys uh, as a Christian and uh, uh, as part of God's church is that uh, I enjoy a very rich variety of relationships. I know that some of my non-Christian friends uh, only have friendships with people of the same age and who work in the same field. And I think they lose out. Because it's been great to know people who are much older than me. Great to know mothers with babies. Great to know people from other countries. Uh, Great to be able to look after kids much younger than me. And most of all, to partner with them. Yes, sometimes it's hard to relate. But we all love Jesus. We all want to be like him. And so we are all on the same team. We are all partners in the gospel. Okay, you might say, I can see that the Bible clearly calls on us to see ourselves as partners in the gospel. But how can I know this joy of partnership? What does that look like in practice? Now, that's a good question. And to answer that, we'll keep looking on in the book of Philippians. And firstly, there is the joy of partnering by giving and receiving. Verse 3 again. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Now, what was it that initially prompted Paul's remembrance? 
Well, the answer is at the end of the letter in chapter 4, verse 18. So if you could just turn to 4, verse 18 with me. And there Paul writes, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul was in prison. In the first century, a prisoner was completely dependent uh, on the support of his family and friends. Rome didn't feed its prisoners. There were no human rights activists in those days to champion Paul's cause. So the Philippians expressed their partnership in a very practical way. They made sure he was cared for. They gave sacrificially. In fact, Epaphroditus, the man who volunteered to bring the gifts to Paul, fell really ill caring for him. We know that from chapter 2. In an age where there were no such things as bank transfers, he put his life on the line in service to God and to Paul. Paul acknowledges their generosity. He has received full payment and more. He is well supplied. And we know that this was part of an ongoing pattern. Look at 4 verse 15 and 16. 4 verse 15. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. From the very beginning of his ministry to them, the Philippian church has been in partnership with him in this practical way. They supported him throughout. But just in case there's misunderstanding, Paul says this in verse 17. Not that I seek the gifts, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. He makes it clear that he is not asking indirectly for more help. He's already well supplied. Why should he be burdening the Philippians more? In fact, earlier in chapter 4, he says that he has learned to be content, no matter the circumstance. No, his real joy comes from knowing that they are bearing fruit. Their generosity is a clear sign that God's gospel is at work in them. That God's grace is changing them. So what does partnership in the gospel look like here at SMAC 2? It is to be expressed in giving and receiving. It could be financial. Now, let me make it clear up front that like Paul, I am not indirectly asking for more help. But partnership in the gospel clearly has this financial aspect. Is there an evangelistic initiative that could do with some financial backing? Is there something that you could give towards that will help facilitate more gospel ministry? Is there someone, a, a gospel worker or a missionary, who could benefit from your kindness? The amount doesn't matter. Some of you are in a place where you can't give much. Some of you are in a position to give more. The point is, whatever you give is an expression of your partnership in the gospel. That God is at work in you. I was humbled recently uh, by a friend of mine who is in full-time ministry. 
Uh, he's going to Bible college as well next year, and he's got his own fundraising to do. And yet he chose to set aside some money to give to me. I, I turned down his gift because I thought it was not appropriate to uh, accept it. But he has already challenged me simply by his attitude. But giving and receiving is not just financial. It is about putting other people's interests first. That's what the Lord Jesus did when he humbled himself to die on a cross for us. That's what Epaphroditus did as he strived to serve Paul this way. And that should be what we are about as partners in the gospel seeking to glorify God. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, Romans 12 verse 10 says. That might mean giving up your time, your energy, and your convenience. What might that look like here at SMAC 2? That might mean that if you are on a roster, uh, you might have to sacrifice some of your time, which you would have used to rest or to hang out with your friends, to make sure that you fulfill your responsibilities. Or it might mean that you give up some of your energy to make sure that you get better and better at your role. That's how you're partnering with one another. But it would be a shame if we just focus on rosters. There is no roster for encouragement. But if we take the time to notice when someone is looking a bit down uh, after the service and to go and encourage him or her, well, that's part of gospel partnership as well. Or if you see a need and help out even though there isn't an official roster for it, well, that's part of gospel partnership as well. Uh, I know someone uh, who kindly offered to help Kenneth move house two weeks ago without being asked. Uh, I can think of someone else uh, who, who occasionally babysits for a mother so that she can go to Bible study. There are so many ways to express our partnership in giving and receiving. And I know that many of you are doing this already. Wouldn't it be great if even more of us partnered this way in 2013? There are nearly 60 New Testament verses about what believers can do for one another. Just imagine what God can do at Smack 2 if we are all actively giving and receiving. So let's not sit back and just watch others. Let's all get involved. Secondly, there is the joy of partnering in proclaiming and promoting. Paul is in prison for the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Uh, we see that in verse 7. Now we would view that as a negative. I mean, how else can you view imprisonment? But not Paul. Turn with me back to chapter 1 and verse 12 to 14. Verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul turns the situation into a positive. He simply sees the prison as yet another setting to tell others about Jesus and what he has done. And as he shares, he recognizes that believers 
will also be strengthened by his example. Here is an opportunity for him to model gospel-centered living. As a result, they become bolder to proclaim God's word. Paul and the Philippians recognize that wherever they are, as free men or men in chains, they are sharing in the joy of partnering by proclaiming and promoting. More than that, to partner in this way is also to partner in suffering. It has never been cool to associate with a criminal. Yes, that's what the Philippians did. Look again at verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. They didn't forget him. More than that, they realized that they were fighting the same battle. Later on, at the end of chapter 1, in verses 29 to 30, Paul says these sobering words to his Philippian partners. Look at verse 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engage in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Trouble will come. Whenever you become a family member of Christ, you sign up to suffering. And when we realize this, it can be very tempting to disown our family members. The Philippians could have done to Paul what Peter did to Jesus. Are you one of Jesus' disciples? No, no, I'm not. Do you, do you share the same faith as Paul? No, no, I don't. But Paul encourages them to stand firm. Look at chapter 1, verse 27 to 28. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. They are to strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. In the 2004 Olympics, in the 3,000 meter steeplechase race, the Kenyans, not surprisingly, were in first, second and fourth place. And as they entered the last lap, the Kenyan who was leading the race didn't speed up. Instead, he slowed down so that he could encourage his fellow Kenyans to the shock of many. They crossed the line in first, second, and third place. Then they ran the victory lap together, and then they held up the Kenyan national flag together. It's a beautiful picture of striving side by side. For mere individuals, they became a team. This is partnership again, in proclaiming, in promoting, in suffering. So that means for us here at SMAC 2, the joy of partnering comes as we strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now we can see our Christian life as very private and individual things. It's as if we are marathon runners running the race on our own. Think of how we conceive of evangelism, for example. We say, I share my faith with my colleagues. Or, I witness 
to Jesus with my family. Now, obviously, personal evangelism is a good thing. I'm not downplaying that at all. But why don't we think of evangelism as something we do together as well? For example, let's say you're at an evangelistic event. And although none of your non-Christian friends can make it, uh, you can partner others with smack by welcoming their non-Christian friends and looking for gospel opportunities in conversations. Or, or let's say that you know that you're not very good at answering questions that your friends have about Christianity. Uh, but you know someone here at Smack 2 who does, who's good at it. But you know that uh, your, your greatest gift is actually cooking, for example. Uh, so why not cook a meal and then invite both parties over? Well, that's the kind of mindset that we should have. And of course, it's not just evangelism. The gospel is for Christians too. And that means letting the gospel address our conversations with each other. That's difficult. That's not our default setting. But let's keep training ourselves and each other that as we talk about what's going on in our lives, to keep asking, how is it that the gospel addresses this particular situation or this particular issue? Is there a way that I can be an ambassador for Jesus with my words? Well, that's the joy of partnering in proclaiming and promoting the gospel. And it does mean standing firmly together as well. Uh, we live in times when our society does not like absolute truth claims. Imagine if Andrew manages to affirm live on national television that Jesus is the only way to God. And, and he gets abused for it. Uh, your friends think that he's an extreme fundamentalist. Then they find out that he's your pastor. And they say to you, ha 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 ha, you know, you can't believe the same thing as your pastor, can you? How can you, an educated and sophisticated person, believe such things? Don't you know that such statements are the source of all evil? What would you say? Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Thirdly, there's the joy of partnering by praying. I'm sure you noticed it already. Paul is a prayerful guy. He's, he's always talking to God and always saying thank you. And in chapter 1, verse 9 to 11, we get to listen to what he prays for. 1 verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. The end of the world is not yet here. Uh, we know that because it's way past 21st December already. But Paul is looking ahead to the end. He's looking ahead to the day of Christ. And he's praying that the Philippians will be fully prepared. He prays, first of all, that their love will abound more and more. Now, whenever there's very heavy rain, uh, we know that the river near the cathedral 
uh, will overflow and flood just about everything else. And as God's people experience the outpouring of his love, they too will overflow with love, like a flood for him and for others. But this is not a fuzzy or sentimental kind of love. Paul prays that their love will be filled with knowledge and all discernment. This is a love that is not satisfied with vague emotionalism. This is a love that wants to know God more. This is a love that wants to discern His will and to live according to His way. In other words, this is a love that has God's word as its anchor. You know, just as a kid can't say to his mum, oh, I love you, mummy, and then proceed to ignore all of her words, neither can Christians say to God that they love him and proceed to ignore all of his words. Love and knowledge go together. So what's the purpose of this request? Verse 10. So that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Paul prays these things so that the Philippians would make the right choices. Just like experts who are able to immediately tell true ringgit from counterfeit ringgit, so Paul is praying that the Philippians would be able to test what is truly excellent from what isn't. They would recognize what is truly essential to live for Jesus. He wants them to keep growing theologically so that they would not be taken in by error. And the ultimate purpose, of course, is there in verse 10 and 11. That they may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Here is a prayer saturated in the gospel. And for partners in the gospel, these are the kinds of prayer that we should be making for each other as well. What are the prayers that we pray for each other like? It's not wrong to pray for exams and health and safety and our jobs and so on. God is interested in all of our lives. But we share in the joy of partnering by praying also for each other to know God more and more, to obey God more and more, to repent more and more. We pray for each other to become more discerning, to run away from false teaching that we won't be taken in. That should be our focus. And again, let's do this not just individually, but as a body as well. Now at SMAC, we often give priority to the word, but we don't give as much priority to prayer. And that is surely not right. And perhaps that is something that we should aim for in 2013 to be more prayerful as a community. Now at this point, you might be thinking, partnership is hard work. Yes, it is. And that's why I want us to remember once again that this is partnership not in our own strength. Back to verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace. We do this because we share in God's grace. God has adopted us into the same family. 
Now, I have absolutely no doubt that as we seek to be partners together in 2013, uh, there will be frustrations. There will be disappointments. But when those times come, remember this. We share in grace. And he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And as I close, uh, let me be a little bit more personal. Uh, it's my joy to have partnered with you all at SMAC2 over the last three years. Uh, some of you will know that I came here by accident. Uh, I'll save that story for maybe uh, next week or the week after. Uh, many of you have been generous to me, I said it already, in your time, uh, in the way that you've given, uh, in, in just uh, sacrificing your energy, your convenience. And I give great thanks to God because I know many of you have worked very hard uh, to advance the gospel, uh, to, to see Jesus glorified. I'm leaving you all here in 2013, but our partnership in the gospel does not end. It will just take a different form. Uh, when I moved from the UK back to Malaysia, uh, one of the best things was knowing that I had a group of friends who regularly prayed for me. And that's how they partnered with me. And I can probably partner with you in similar kinds of ways as well. But you are also welcoming new partners in the gospel. You are going to be welcoming Kenneth as a new pastor and people from ACA into your congregation next week. Remember, they are your partners and you are their partners. You are all participating in the same vision to glorify God together in response to His grace by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Pray for Kenneth. Work with him and those from ACA to proclaim and promote the gospel. Keep giving and receiving. Be devoted to one another. And wouldn't it be great if you and I could echo what Paul says in 1 verse 27 to each other. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, smack too, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel.